You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Good evening, this is uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, this is David Murray with Deal for Your House and joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Dorothy, welcome. How are you this evening? Welcome. <laughs> That's funny I'm saying that to you. Uh, Dorothy, how are you? <laughs> I am very blessed, actually, although, you know, I'm hoping spring gets here soon. How is it up in, in New York? Are you getting any? We've got the peepers, no hummingbirds, but we've got the peepers going. No, it's just starting to warm up, and... uh it's nice out. It's nice out tonight. I'll probably be outside. I have to. Uh, I was. I was given the honor to um, officiate a wedding in two weeks, so I'll probably work a little bit on that tonight outside. It's a beautiful day outside, and um, but you know we can. It can always warm up a little bit. We're not there yet, but everything is nice and wet, so <clears throat> things will start to wake up. Yes, very you know. wet. It's raining here. It's been raining all day. Well, you're not too far. You're not too far away from us. What are you, you're you're two and a half, three hour drive to where you are in Connecticut. So we usually get the same weather system. You'll usually get a little bit less snow than we do sometimes, but not always. Yeah. So I'm surprised it's not raining up there. It's been raining all day. I've been waiting for the sun to come out and play, but hasn't been here in a few days. As long as it starts to warm up, I'm okay with that as a start. Well, uh, this is stuff that you and I have talked about before, uh, Dorothy, on the resting place and what that is and, and what it looks like. And and um, I'm not going to say this is going to be short because I said it every week now it seems, but uh, it is going to be. It's going to be right to the point. And a lot of people, I, I often, one of the things that I, that comes up a lot of times in discipleship in counseling and emails and whatever you call it, my correspondence with the body of Christ is the lack of rest and the lack of, of peace that um, the body of Christ is experiencing in this generation, in this hour. And without going too far back, um, one of the reasons why that is, guys, well, first we're going to talk about what the resting place is. What, does, what do I mean with the resting place? What does the Word of God have to say about rest, his rest? Uh, how do we access it? What, what hinders us from remaining in that resting place? I want to invite all of you, all of you listeners, the body of Christ, to consider something for some perspective. <clears throat> Uh, I recognize that I have an audience that tunes in from uh, around the world, and I am honored to live in a day and age where the body of Christ can so easily connect. It is a fascinating, wonderful time that, that we live in where we can use the technology and advancements to build the kingdom of God and to minister to the lost so easily. For a lot of us, 
uh, that talk about a lot of rest. I know a lot of Americans struggle with that. And one of the expressions I have is, is so goes the body of Christ in America, so goes the body of Christ across the world. Um, America is given great place of influence and the body of Christ is meant to be the greatest missionary tool to the world. And we are struggling with that in this generation. We've been struggling with it for um, several years. And even so, the United States continues to, I think, I don't know, I think it's the top five or six or seven other countries combined don't even come close to the amount of missionaries we send to third world countries. So there's, there is still a work going on where people are giving their lives for the gospel. And this is what I want to hone in on, just to encourage those of you that are struggling. Uh, there's not a lot of teaching in this generation. I, I've spoken, I've shared, and given some insights of what the Lord has, has talked about in the end times and, and what he shared with me a little bit as, a, as just one member in the body of Christ who was bringing, getting ready to bring forth some teachers. But one of the things we've really struggled with is, is sound um, teaching, you know, the milk of the word in which we can grow by it. And with a, a lot of the teaching of the word of God, teaching on doctrine, teaching on his heart, his mind, his voice, the kingdom of heaven, our walk, our relationship with him, ourselves, and others, it's been replaced with apocalyptic proclamations. And apocalyptic proclamations are not going to build our intimacy. They are meant to help give us insight so that we can continue to focus more clearly and more sober-mindedly on our intimacy with the Lord because the time is short. Time is short in bringing in the end times harvest. And one of the things that I want to encourage all of us in, particularly, but not limited to, the body of Christ in America, is the things that many of us are hearing about the end times to come are nothing new, meaning since the day of Pentecost, since the day that the new covenant was initiated, Christians have been killed for their faith since the beginning of the new covenant. If we are to die for our faith, for sharing the gospel, we have entered into the honor of being martyrs the way our brothers and sisters have since the beginning of time and are all over the world doing right now. And the reason why I want to share that is because that's not taking place in the United States. Right? And uh, that level of persecution, for the most part, has never taken place historically. Our nation was formed upon being a light to the world. And when we talk about the things to come, we must remember that if that comes here to America, that's one of several uh, forks in the road that the United States um, has, and, and that will be dependent upon the body of Christ and how and when we begin picking up the Father's heart for what's on his heart, namely the lost, uh, namely, you know, stepping out and being the salt and the light of the world, that if those things were to happen, we're just entering into the rest of the story, the word of our testimony. It's nothing that we need to be afraid of. We've been overcome by a spirit of fear, and that spear has been propagated through a lot of blogs, a lot of YouTube channels, a lot of uh, radio proclamations, and um, 
there's really very little place in the body of Christ in this hour. Uh, I won't get into too much of it, but I'm saying that for your guys' encouragement. You know, we don't need to be afraid. There's nothing new. When, when, when the end times come, uh, you know, we're living in the end days. When this begins to unfold and if the United States enters into the persecution, which uh, Korea, China, the continent of Africa, um, places all over the world, India, uh, the Ivory Coast, Tunisia, parts of the Far East and the Middle East, they're going through this right now. They're not discussing the end times. They don't have time because they're discussing about how they can be kept safe to live longer to share the gospel one more day. And that's the eternal mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the first century mindset. And the end times church are meant to be greater than the first century church. Greater. We are called to the greater, the latter reign. Now, the latter reign is a term in scripture. I'm not getting into that. And for all the false teachings and all the erroneous stuff out there, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a latter rain. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit moving through the body of Christ that I believe will exceed the former days. And it's not going to happen so long as we live in fear. And to overcome fear, we have to begin, bring this all back around, to understand how to enter into a place of rest or what I will call the resting place. A lot of times when I talk with brothers and sisters and and um, my fellowship that I that I'm a part of that uh, that we meet together with I will often refer to going back to the beginning so we're going to talk about what is the resting place how to access it so what is it let's go to Matthew 14:11. Jesus was the prototype of what we as sons and daughters are meant to have with the father Jesus made this very clear. He said to them just before he left, when the disciples, the 12 apostles, were finding out that Jesus was going and it was finally sinking in, they said, Lord, if you're going to go, just show us the Father. Right? I'm going to paraphrase here. And Jesus said, how could you say this after you've been with me for almost four years? How could you say, show me the Father? Don't you understand that he who has seen me has seen the Father? Why is that important? Because it is the earth ministry of Jesus Christ, it is the gospel, the harmony of the gospels that give us the greatest picture of the life we are invited to have here on this earth. Jesus was the prototype of how we as sons and daughters can live on the earth in communion with God through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. The New Testament, guys, the word testament, a lot of people think it means testimony. It doesn't. It means contract. We are in a new contract. It's great to go to the old so long as the old points to the new contract, which was fulfilled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that was given to us. If we don't understand that we're in a new contract, we will always see things through a different, a wrongful contract. We were under the contract of Satan. All of the prior contracts God gave us pointed to the contract that would set us free from the ultimate demonic contract. That is the new contract, the new covenant, where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So Jesus was saying 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's vital because if we study the earth walk of Jesus, the most significant events that are written in the Gospels are surrounded by a single principle. And the principle is Jesus got alone to be with Father God. The Gospels are filled with examples where it says Jesus got alone and prayed. Jesus got alone and prayed. Jesus got alone. He went to solitary places. He went to places. The word solitary means desert, arid, alone. It, they, were, they were places where he could be alone. And when we study the context of when those scriptures, uh, when the scriptures mention Jesus getting alone, it was always surrounded by some of the most major events that took place in Jesus' earth ministry. It was always coming from a place of deep communion. If we could start with his commission, calling of his uh, 12 apostles, the death of John, the transfiguration, walking on water the night before he was murdered for our sins. All these events, the context that surrounds them, the scriptures that are around them, is that he got alone with God. Very interesting. Anyway, let's read Matthew fourteen eleven. Okay, this is talking about the, the beheading of John the Baptist. The, the story, uh, just sharing a little bit of, about my heart, the story, the interaction between Jesus and his relative, most likely his cousin, doesn't say that, but most likely, um, John the Baptizer, is one of the most beautiful stories I think uh, there is to me. I'm always touched when I read about John the Baptist and Jesus. You have the God of everything, all of the universe, all of eternity, all of creation, chose to have the last Old Testament, Old Covenant prophet be a close relative of his. You know, uh, why did he do that? (laughs) Talk about how personal the Lord is. Talk about how of a personal God he is, that he chose to have one of his close, close family members be the one that he interacted with. Anyway, so you have this um, this family interaction. You have this family love. Uh, you know, Jesus, although he was God, laid aside the deity of his nature to walk this earth by the leading of the Holy Spirit and in constant communion of what Father God was doing. He was the prototype of the new contract, the new covenant, what we have the ability to walk in. And 1411 says his head, meaning John the Baptist, after he was beheaded, was brought on a platter and was given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So it's the first thing that Jesus did when he heard of this news, he heard that his cousin, relative, the last Elijah to come, the last living testimony and witness of the, of the walk that Jesus was going to fulfill. You have 400 years of dead silence, no public prophetic voice. Now, there were prophets that lived in the age of Jesus, the scripture said, but they were not publicly commissioned. There was no public commission by the Holy Spirit for 400 years. 
You have Jesus' relative, a close companion friend of his, is the last witness who's saying, okay, all the prophets who came before me saying that he's coming, here he is right in front of me. And when Jesus finds out that he's beheaded, he withdrew to get alone with God. And what I want to focus on is that, is the coming away with the Lord. When we get along with the Lord, this, this, this place of solitude that Jesus had and what we are called to have, it's a place of deep intimacy. The resting place is literally the interface with heaven itself. If we want to really distill down what our resting place is, it is the interface. It is where we interface with heaven. It's a place of deep intimacy. It's a place of where transformation power is released. It's where the fullness of the kingdom is accessed and apprehended. So here's some awesome encouraging news. If our prayer time doesn't sound like what I just shared with you, there is even more you are invited and I am invited to partake of. If we look through scriptures, this isn't my opinion, (laughs) we look through scriptures, the place of rest, excuse me, the place where impartation was given, when people were alone with God, when Jesus was alone with God, the first fruit of the the new contract, the new covenant, he interfaced with heaven. There was transformation power. This is the resting place, guys. This is what we're invited into. So how do we access this? How do we access a place where we can interface with heaven, where we can have transformation power take place within our communion, where we can apprehend and access the fullness of the kingdom? Three things take place when we get along with God. And these three things are with access or define the fullness of a resting place. Number one, we behold his face. That's number one. Number two is there is an exchange that takes place. And number three, there's a transformation. The health of our resting place, the health of our prayer time, the health of our prayer closet, whatever we want to call it, can be determined by to what degree those three things are taking place. Now, this doesn't mean we're falling short. No matter where we are, there's more. There's more. A lot of times people will ask me, David, what does your prayer life look like? It doesn't matter. I want more. That's how my prayer life looks. (laughs) My prayer life is an invitation to more. That's how I could best sum up what kind of prayer and communion time I have with the Lord. My communion time with him, he invites me to go deeper. And we just keep going deeper. All of us are meant to go deeper. It's an invitation not to works. It's an invitation to intimacy. I'm going to say that again. Our prayer time is not an invitation to works. It's an invitation to greater intimacy. It's a place of rest, place of desire and longing, of confident expectation. Okay, so three things, beholding his face, 
there's an exchange, and then the third is there's transformation. Let's go with beholding his face. Corinthians, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Let's break that down a little bit. We're going to focus on the word contemplate. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. The word contemplate doesn't mean to simply think. It's not an intellectual consideration. It means to see, to reflect back. So what it's saying is when we get in to the presence of the Lord through our communion, through our will coming into alignment, just saying, I'm going to set my affections on the Lord right now. I'm going to get away. I'm going to get to a quiet place. I'm going to set my face before the Lord. I'm going to see and reflect back the image of God's glory. We are transformed into his image with ever increasing in glory, which comes from the Lord. In other words, every interaction increases the interactions. When we behold his glory, his glory is reflected back to us, and the level of his glory that's free to rest and move through us increases, which then gets reflected back to him, and it continues to build. Wonderful verse. <clears throat> Wonderful keys there. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, Exodus 33.9 is the type and shadow. Remember, everything in, in, in the scriptures before the Gospels points to the Gospels. Everything after the Gospels explains the Gospels. But everything must be viewed in the nature and through the nature of Jesus Christ. And that nature is given in his earth walk. We can see the heart of the Father. We can see the heart and nature of Jesus through the Gospels. However, Moses was a type and shadow of what we're meant to have. He was a picture of things to come. He was a picture of the new contract, the new covenant. Exodus 33.9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. It goes on to describe that. And then the Lord said, it goes on in uh, verse 10, 33.10, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So what took place here? Moses went into the presence of the Lord. The glory that came down is the glory that lives inside of us now. The Holy Spirit does not come down now. He's inside of us. He's released from within us. We draw to the Holy Spirit when we commune with the Lord. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What releases rest is the presence of the Lord. All of us as born-again Christians have the presence of the Lord in our spirit man. In order for us to access the Sabbath rest, the rest that he gave us, after we behold his face, after we reflect upon his goodness, after we deeply consider and reflect back his nature, his truth, his love, his affection, what must take place then is an exchange. There has to be an exchange that takes place. What is the exchange? The exchange is us changing the way we think and what we believe to reflect back to God his truth. 
We cannot reflect black back the glory of God if we are contending with what he says and who he is and what he does. Can't do it. If I have a mirror, someone's pointing something at me, and I turn that mirror onto an angle, they can't see their own reflection back. It's the same way when our thinking, our belief system does not match God's. When the glory of the Lord shines upon us in our quiet time, when he's reflecting upon us his nature and truth, we are meant to reflect back, to say yes and amen to his truth, his love, his unconditional acceptance and favor. When we do not reflect those truths back to him, we are taking and deflecting the glory of the Lord elsewhere. The exchange stops. That's vital to understanding why we can spend our entire lives in prayer and never feel as if we've made any headway. Because we've never allowed the exchange to take place. When the glory of the Lord shines upon our hearts, wells up from within our spirit man, hits our soul, begins to stir up our thoughts. If we do not conform those thoughts to his image, his nature, we're not going to be transformed. Romans 12.2 says we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. When we're in the presence of God, it's meant to change our thinking, and it starts with our identity. Guys, everything goes back to our identity. If we do not embrace that we were made the righteousness of Christ, it will change and distort the way we see ourselves, which will change and distort who we think he is as our Father, Lord, and Savior. It distorts everything. It pollutes everything. It started in the garden, and it continues to perpetuate with every believer that will not allow the exchange to take place where we take our, the hurts, wounds, and lies of Satan, we give them to God, and we let his truth reflect upon us in the glory, in the tent of meeting, in the holy of holies, which is in our spirit life, is in our walk, is in our, our resting place, our place of solitude with him. We are meant to take it, receive it, bear witness, say yes and amen, cut out anything that contends with it, and we reflect that back to the Lord. And that exchange is what releases us into glory. That exchange is what takes us to ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, ever-increasing. If we do not do that, uh, we're not going to enter into his rest. Let me read another portion of scripture here. You know, I said that Moses in, in 33.9 was a type and shadow. Let's read the fulfillment of that that Paul uh, talked about in 2 Corinthians 3.13. Okay, now the entire context of this here is the glory of the new covenant. Okay, Paul is talking about to these Corinthians, to these Greeks who accepted Christ. He brought them up to speed on what the Jews, where they came from, where mankind has come up to this point in time, and where they've been grafted in. Said, Behold, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. In other words, as Moses left the presence of God, the glory would leave. It would fade. And Moses didn't want to see, the Lord actually said he didn't want to see the glory, the presence of God fading away from Moses. So he would put a veil on his face until the, the 
physical presence of God would slowly lift, that people wouldn't see the glory leave. So they could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Remember, Testament is contract, under the old contract, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the full context of what is taking place. What Paul is comparing is that in the old covenant, the glory passed away. Moses got to access the Holy of Holies. In the new covenant, it's inside of us. It does not pass away. We just have to reflect upon it. And it's removed in Christ. What is removed in Christ is thinking what he thinks, believing what he believes, accepting his truth. And if we don't understand the new covenant, the new contract that we've been made righteous, that we're acceptable, loving, pleasing, complete, when we enter into our prayer time, we're entering into a prayer time, and now instead of reflecting upon his truth of who he is, reflecting upon his love, reflecting upon his greatness, and that being reflected back to us and us receiving it, we're going into our prayer time with shame, condemnation, fear, uncertainty. And that's okay if we give it to him. But the problem is, is that if we don't change our thinking, we don't give it to him. All we do is experience a degree of rest. We experience a reprieve. Because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, the Bible says. In the presence of God, there is peace. So we could, we've learned how to get into the presence of God. We've learned how to commune spirit to spirit. But if we don't, after we behold his face, if we don't allow the exchange to take place, if we don't change our thinking, if our confession does not match what he's declared over us and about himself, then we will never really be transformed into greater glories. We will never find deliverance of our fears and insecurities and our doubt and our shame and condemnation. I can't tell you how many Christians that I've met that they'll, they'll you know, we'll have a, a they, we can talk about, oh yeah, I know how to get into the presence of the Lord. But yet they struggle year after year after year with the same issues of pride, the same issues of unforgiveness, the same issues of, of being judgmental. I mean, there's some people that we, we work, all of us, I'm sure, can think of. We know them 10, 20, 30, some of them. I know, I know since birth. I know from the earliest days, going on 40 years. I know they know how to hear God's voice but they don't know his heart because when they behold his glory, they reject the invitation to change their thinking for an exchange to take place so that we can reflect back to him his truth as in a mirror. 
That's vital, guys. Transformation is not meant to be hard. It's a willful decision, and it does take some courage. Because if God says, I love you unconditionally, and we're stuck on feeling soothed with being unworthy, if we are stuck on the self-soothing mechanism of calling us unrighteous, uh, sinful, unworthy, um, miserable wretches, when God has said, let nothing that is God made clean be called unclean, if we don't stop contending with God about what he has made us, we can't reflect back to him. The exchange breaks down. He can only pour upon us what we're willing to receive. And that is the, uh, the, the major hindrance that, that takes place. Now, guys, please understand, I mean, these, um, there are types and shadows and pictures of this all throughout the Bible. I'm going to give you another picture of, of how the exchange is meant to take place in, in Numbers 21.9. Again, the things that took place in the desert under the Mosaic Covenant were meant to point us to the new contract where the Holy Spirit would be in us. We know the New Testament says that um, Jesus said as, as Moses was um, lifted up the bronze snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? That, that event that took place, those of you aren't familiar, Numbers 21.9, Israel entered into rebellion against the Lord again, entered into rebellion against Moses being the mouthpiece of the Lord under the Old Testament. None of them had the Holy Spirit. Um, rebellion opened up judgment. Uh, Satan came into the camp through snakes. The snakes started killing thousands of people, and the Lord went before them, interceded on their behalf. Again, Moses was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Moses was a picture of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Moses stood between the living and the dead. The Lord told him to make a snake. So in verse 9, it says, So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Do a word study on the word looked. When anyone was bitten by a snake and looked, the word looked in the Hebrew means to behold, to consider, to depend upon. Right? Isn't it amazing how watered down the English language is? (laughs) When anyone beheld, considered, and depended upon the snake, that's what it meant to look. It was meant to put their entire trust was upon that type and shadow of Jesus being lifted up for our sins. As they looked upon that bronze serpent, just as Jesus was the serpent for us, Jesus was, and when I mean that, I mean sin. The serpent represented sin. As sin was lifted up on the stick, as Jesus was lifted up for ours, our sins, they lived. Guys, this is the exchange. They took all that was going on around them. Now, right, let's step back a little bit. Me personally, there's a bunch of snakes around me and people are dropping dead like flies. I'm going to have a tough time ignoring the snakes around me, ignoring the poison coursing through my own, my own blood and stay fixed upon that bronze staff and say, well, I'm not going to worry about it if I get, if I get Again, second, third, fifth time. I'm just going to keep staring on that cross. It was an act of great faith, and those that exercised that faith lived. 
There was an exchange that took place. They despised their symptoms. They despised their physical environment. They despised or lightly esteemed the natural realm around it, and they submitted it to the realm of the spirit. They allowed the spirit of God to flow out and into their soul. That's what we need to do, guys. When we're in the Holy of Holies with the Lord, when we're in our communion time, the Lord is attempting to lift up within our hearts. And as we behold him, it takes faith and courage because all the lives are going to be lifted up around us. All the lives are going to hear the snakes and the serpents all around us hissing, trying to speak poison into our spiritual bloodstream, into our soul. It's already in there. All we have to do is allow the exchange to take place, to fix our eyes upon the Lord, to conform our thinking, to allow what he says about us to take root within us. What happens is the third part. This is where transformation takes place. Transformation is the fruit of these encounters. Beholding his face, Allowing the exchange to take place will release transformation. As we spend time in his presence, guys, we intertwine with his heart. I did, guys, Isaiah 40, 31, it says, the day that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Word study. The word wait means to bind together. It means to twist. Think about that. It's pretty cool. They that wait upon the Lord, as they're waiting, what are we doing? We're binding together. We're twisting Guys, as we interface with the Lord and allow our hearts and our minds to agree with him, we are intertwining our hearts with his heart, just like a three-strand cord. We're binding together. We're melding hearts. Our thoughts become his thoughts. His nature is allowed to reflect back and transform our nature. We become one, just like a rope. As here's what's so important to understand, and we'll close out with this, with hindrances, solitude is not the same as rest. We can enter to a place of solitude. The purpose of being alone is to get into his presence, to behold his face, and allow a transfer to take place in our belief systems. Getting alone and crying out to God is great if we conform it to his truth. For many of us, a common theme I see struggling within the body of Christ is we violate Hebrews 4.12. We violate where the, let's read it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit. Let's stop there. The word of God divides that which is of spirit and that which is of soul. Any area of our thinking right? The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. Any area where our thinking runs contrary to the spirit, the word of God will divide it. It will expose it. It will sever it. We are meant to take any area of our soul that contends against the spiritual reality of his kingdom, and we are to divide it. We are to carve it out. We're to cut it, cut it loose. And the number one hindrance to transformation, to rest, to living in perpetual rest, which we're all called to, 
is that we have to allow the attitude of our heart to change, to conform to him. Going on in verse uh, Hebrews 4.12, it says, dividing soul and spirit, joint marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God will judge or discern or thoroughly separate the attitude of the heart of man. And this is why we struggle and this is how we stop the struggle. We stop contending with God. If we go into our prayer closet, our resting place, our place of solitude with self-righteousness, God will will deal with that righteousness. He will begin to say, your righteousness, your self-worth doesn't come from X, Y, Z. It comes from my gift to you. We have a decision. I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Change me. Give me a revelation of your love. Give me a revelation of those that I hate, of those that I judge, of those that I condemn, the people that I don't like the way they talk on the broadcasts, the people that when they, I don't like when they blog, I wish I could unsubscribe twice. Maybe I'll just, I'll subscribe so I can unsubscribe, right? <laughs> the things that push our buttons, it comes down to self-righteousness and judgment. Father wants to deal with that. He wants to set us free. He wants to transform us into his image. He wants us to be one with him like a three-chord strand, like a rope that's bound together. It will always, the word of God will always expose the thoughts and beliefs of our soul. Because the entire context of Hebrews chapter 4 is entering into the rest of the Lord. The entire chapter of Hebrews 4 is about the Lord's rest. And, he, and, and the writer of Hebrews goes on to say they didn't enter in the Lord's rest because it was rebellion. Now we know that the Mosaic law of rebellion was about following the law. But the law was meant to show them that they can't earn their own righteousness. In the same way today, we follow our own laws. The laws that we follow, whatever we determine, make us a good and acceptable Christian in God's eyes. And no matter what they are, it's a lie. Because God said that he made you righteous by the blood of Jesus, not by anything that we did. So we are still in the same rebellion when we're thinking that way that they did in the old covenant. where the Lord says in his anger, they will not enter my rest. And the entire chapter is about the word of God judging our motives to set us free. He's not an angry, wrathful God, guys. He writes these things so that we may have the joy and the peace and the intimacy that he died to give us. They sent his son to give us. So when we go into our prayer closet, our prayer time, we've got to get our eyes and our fears and our concerns off of us, get them onto him, then he will begin speaking to our hearts. He will begin addressing things. David, I don't see my image in you. Turn the mirror. Well, what does that mean, Lord? David, you're believing this lie. You're believing that I won't provide for you. You're believing that, that my definition of providing for you isn't good enough for you. No, I'm not, Lord. Yes, you are, David, because you're afraid. And if you're afraid, it means you don't trust me. Right? Giving a little little dialogue of the conversation I had with the Lord last week, a couple of days ago. <laughs> so this is what we do, guys. We, this is how we, quote, unquote, work out our salvation. I'm talking about earning salvation. Working out our salvation is the same way I've used this expression before. When we say, I'm working out my marriage. Uh, things going well. I'm working out my marriage. It, it means to work out the issues. 
So I hope this made sense. I hope this was a blessing. Let's sum it up. We behold his face. We allow there to be an exchange that is vital. That's the key. And then we're transformed. This is where we get refreshed, guys. This is where we become literally transformed into greater, ever-increasing glory. So uh, that about sums this up. I hope this was a, a blessing. I hope this made sense. And um, that's going to be it. Dorothy, how are we doing over there? We're doing just fine. Okay. Um, no questions. I thought that was excellent. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting to if you read the oh, what was that book? Fox's Martyrs, the stories of the first church and how they all, you know, how they were martyred. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um. And even when you look at the stoning of Stephen, their rest was so complete in the Lord that they looked up to Father when this was going on. There was no trauma in their situation. It was all love of Father. And I think we forget that he loves us. And if we want to hold on to trauma... And drama, he'll let us, you know? Roz and I were talking about that the other day. Why do we want to hold on to our wounds? But we do that. As human beings, we do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of the things that, that Father is calling us to, the body of Christ in this season, is to begin to mend and to bring forth a, a body of believers that interface with heaven that are being transformed, that know his heart and that are filled with peace. There's, there's not a lot of peace. And, and yet we continue to dwell on things that don't bring us peace because it, that is what we know. That's it's self-soothing. And uh, it's, a, it's a carnal self-soothing. And he just wants more for us. There's no condemnation. I remember when I did that, uh, you know, I, I always joke, you know, when I was, when I was younger, before the Lord really started getting a hold of, of my heart and telling me I really didn't know who he was, uh, you know, my identity was in things other than Christ. It was in my perfection. I was a born-again Pharisee. So, praise God, there's no condemnation. It's just, it's an invitation. Brothers and sisters, this teaching is an invitation. Nothing that anyone walked in is beyond what you have been given and granted access to. We have access to the Holy of Holies. Moses' glory faded. Ours does not. It's inside of us. We access it through these. These are some of the keys and how we do it, and they're not complicated. It just uh, it takes courage in the same way it took courage in the desert looking at that serpent, uh, that bronze serpent. It's, it's the same principle. So anyway, praise God. Dorothy, have a wonderful evening. I'll, I'll catch up with you off the air. And... Um, Guys, for those of you listening over the weekend, uh, uh, hold to it. Have a wonderful Resurrection Weekend. And uh, you guys have a great week, and I will catch up with you guys uh, with you guys soon. Dorothy, have a wonderful night. I'll talk to you in a couple minutes. Okay. Father bless everyone.
This has been Zeal Fear House. I'm David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hope that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. Thank you.